Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. What's it like inside? Get your hands off of me. You Marcos are real tough. Hey, you guys want to see a real killer here? Real killer. My brother didn't kill anybody. Your brother was a punk killer. Hey, Mike. Hi, Amber. How is it going? Uh, I don't know. After that movie, it could be better, but I think talking about it will help. I think it will. I think there's a lot in it that didn't really occur to me until... I thought about it more deeply. I think even reading some of the summaries didn't really help me out. It wasn't until I sat with my own thoughts for a little while. So first of all, let's introduce the movie. The movie is titled Anatomy of a Psycho. It was filmed in 1961. The director was Boris Petrov, and it has a 4.1 out of 10 on IMDb. So this movie is... Originally unrated, but if you watch it on a streaming platform, it is rated as PG-13, which I'm a little like, I don't know about that, but we can get to that. It is 74 minutes, and the notable actors are Ronnie Burns, who is the adopted son of George Burns and Gracie Allen, who you and I know, but younger listeners may not have heard of them. Um, And as a matter of fact, I don't really uh, have firsthand knowledge of the TV show that they're famous for. I just remember George Burns being in all those movies, playing God. (laughs) (laughs) And although I think they were in the 80s, right? So and he was really old then. So anyway, their adopted son was in was in this movie. So I'm going to read a brief summary of it. I read several summaries before I wrote this one. I really felt like none of them truly represented the movie very well, so that's why I I wrote my own. Anyway, all right, here we go. Chet, the younger brother of a man sentenced to death for murder, becomes distraught over the execution. Chet's sister, friends, and girlfriend are unable to keep him tethered to reality. He begins to strike out in anger against the sons of the judge and the prosecuting attorney. He sets a house on fire and frames a man for murder before the police finally catch up with him and take him into custody. What do you think? I wrote that and didn't ask you about it at all, Mike. What do you think about that? I, I think you covered it. I, I think that tethered to reality is is um, always in question. Uh, I think I became untethered to reality after watching this. But yes, there's a little bit of a tethered to reality uh, question because that certainly pivots on the point of whether or not Chet's a psycho, right? So I think that's that is certainly that was the movie's intent. Yeah, I do think that Psycho may have 
been overselling it a little bit. I mean, look, the man's brother, who he was very attached to, got convicted of murder. And by all accounts, it wasn't a situation where it's not like he didn't do it. Like, like, like everybody except Chet agrees, the man murdered someone, shot him. People saw it. He was convicted. He was executed. All of that happened. I think that would send anybody a little, you know, off the deep end for a while. But he certainly, uh, well, he starts a vendetta. I mean, really, that's what the movie is about. Like, calling it Anatomy of a Psycho doesn't make a lot of sense until you understand why they titled it that. So do you want to go into that? Why, why, Why did they use those words, Anatomy and Psycho? So one of the things that's interesting is this film is black and white, and it's sort of in the genre of what I think is termed juvenile delinquency, right? So the idea being this is sort of the like those no good kids and their rotten drugs and rock and roll kind of thing uh, and how they get in trouble. But it's 1961. So this is interesting because it's it's a film that almost feels out of time. It feels like a late 40s, early 50s film, but it wasn't. It was 1961. And Two movies that come out, I think we've figured out just before, both of them thrillers, at least horrors, depending on your perspective. And one was uh, obviously Psycho. And what was the other one? Anatomy Anatomy of of a murder of a murder. Put them together. And what do you got? Anatomy of a psycho. Uh, yeah, you know, money, was, please, money, please. I, I know, right? Right. That's it. Sounds exactly the same. And mm-hmm. could people get confused? Like, would that happen? I don't know. I mean, it happens today. That's the grandma factor. You know, grandma's looking at a bargain bin shelf and going, I don't know. That sounds like the fun movie that they probably the kids like and they buy it by accident. I don't think that happened in 1961, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I am thinking of some grandma situations in our own lives where grandma went and bought a toy and you know what bless the grandmas i mean i hope to be one one day but that they go and buy a toy that is not like the name brand toy but it looks a lot like it Mm -hmm. and then they give it to the kids and of the course you know of course the kids have younger synopses and so they look at this toy and they're like well that's not a real power ranger or whatever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you're just and you're sitting there as the parent. And you're like, shh, just, just, just say thank you and move on. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it has that little bit of a of a vibe to it. But I think I had more appreciation for it as it went on. As I think we're seeing with a lot of these movies, it's a little hard to follow. They don't really explain a lot. Everything moves pretty quickly. The movie's only seventy four minutes. What did you think though about that opening scene? It opens up where kind of a movie trope like i don't know is there a name for this where it opens up where it's like the the newsboy you know extra extra (laughs) read all about it you know and that's how you first hear about what's what's going on part of chet's problem he has a lot of problems Uh, obviously one of the things we learned is this is his adopted parent for all intents and purposes so losing duke isn't just losing a brother it's not just losing someone in the family he's also losing a father figure and presumably some level of stability in his life but it's also publicly embarrassing yeah um everybody knows about it right so it's in the newspaper it's pretty high profile so there's not really a place for chet to get and there's no out of this to the point that it starts affecting his sister where people know that she is the sister of duke and obviously of chet and where people get anxious about even dating and of course you know this is i don't know what's supposed to take place but it's it's 60s, probably, you know, a 50s style film where that's a real problem. 
So I think they really wanted to establish this, that this isn't just sort of a personal struggle with Chet. It's a it's a public spectacle. Right. Well, the first thing that happens to him is he's in the jail and you can tell they have him signing papers or something. And so they've they're, they're giving him some effects. And I have to be honest, like the 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 quality of the film is such that I'm not really sure what it was. It looked like it was maybe some clothing. At another point in the movie, he sort of like holds it up and, and sniffs it kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of lovingly. <laughs> so he takes whatever these effects are and he wanders out of the jail and he's in the street and literally just gets accosted by somebody who is like, hey, your brother's a real, you know, shithead. And Chet's like, no, he's not. And they get into a fight right then and there. But he ends up with like this pretty uh, nasty cut on his cheek. And then he sort of goes through the whole movie. He's got this um, this scar in his cheek because he never does seek any kind of medical attention. And he goes home to his sister. She does the best she can with it. She's like, we got to see a doctor. We got to see a doctor. And he's like, no, I'm too upset to see a doctor. And, you know, I'm just going to let it scar. And so he's got like this jagged scar on his cheek, which is kind of interesting because it's it's a way, I guess, to show outwardly how how he's feeling inwardly he's scarred he's marked in a way it's funny because uh the original name of the film before they changed it to grandma confusing levels of uh obfuscation was young scarface which maybe that's even worse i don't know right 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 you know what like yeah i mean that would i don't know when the movie scarface i don't know the year i think it was in the 70s when scarface um the one that we all know and love but that would have made more sense, calling it Scarface, because, yeah. you know, I think by the time we get to the end of this discussion, you're going to appreciate this movie a little bit more than... than <laughs> you got than, some work to do. Than you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He told me. Duke said that? That's right. That's crazy, Chet. I don't know why he did this to you, but he was lying. For some reason, he thought you'd feel better, but he was wrong. He killed that man. Don't say that! So, all right. Plot's moving along. Chet goes home. He's talking to his sister. We find out about how important the brother was in their life. And she is trying to get him to see that, indeed, his brother was guilty. And she's like that's the law and that's how it is and whatever and he's like no he didn't do it he told me he didn't do it and his sister was like look there's a bunch of shit that you don't know our brother was not really uh you know on the up and up he i think she calls him a hoodlum she's like he's a hoodlum he kept us all together but he had to do some crazy stuff in order to do that so one of the themes in this movie that that stuck out to me, and, and I have no idea whether or not the writers intended it, but was the emotional labor that everyone around Chet does to try to keep him from turning into a psycho. And the first is that his sister, that but she's very matter-of-fact. She's, she's almost unemotional about it. She's like, talk to me, let's talk through this, we're going to get through this, we're going to stay together, yada, yada, yada. So she is trying to pull him back from the brink and he really just doesn't seem to have he doesn't believe her and he doesn't seem to have a lot of respect for what she's saying to him but he also makes the point of sort of conceding that maybe he is guilty but he says you know he kept this house over our heads and he right. he sort of fed us and i thought that was interesting because on some level chet feels an obligation yeah 
it's not even about guilt after a certain point. I mean, he, he definitely doesn't want to admit that he's guilty. Partially, we suspect, because Chet's not a whole lot better. But there's definitely a, a feeling that they owe him. Uh, and Chet, talking about emotional labor, you know, you could see that, right? This idea that he had to sort of honor Duke's memory by... I, we don't know what. And, and part of the problem, I think, if you, you want to, again, talk about emotional labor with Chet, is he has no path forward. He really doesn't know how to process this. He doesn't really have anybody to grieve with. He doesn't really have any way. I mean, you know, he's got a girlfriend. That's that's a whole mess. His buddies hang out in a shack apparently all day. But he doesn't really have a... I mean, I, I don't know that anybody normally does in, in the 19th, let's say, 50s. Um, but he's not going to therapy. He doesn't seem to have anybody he can confide emotionally how he's feeling. And everybody sees it, right? They're all like, you need to let this go, Chet, because it's going to cause bad things. Now, what those are, we're not really sure, other than vengeance, the big capital V vengeance. of Well, that's the thing. That's like the very first thing that he says to his friends. He goes to his friends. And this is what I'm saying, is that when you pay close attention, you notice that the men do some emotional labor. So his friends. So his friends are there. They're listening to him. And the first thing that he wants to do is get drunk. And he has one friend that's like, no, we're not going to let you do Like, he says something like, I don't have any liquor. I'm real broke. Whatever. And the other dude's like, oh, I have so You know, like, just, <laughs> you know, the dumb friend who's like, oh, sure. You know, give me a dollar and you can have my liquor. And the first friend's like, no, bro, I was trying to keep him sober. Like, what's the matter with you? So I did think it was pretty, you know, pretty good, actually, that it wasn't just the sister who was trying to pull him back. Like, his friends were. Now, to to a point, okay, because the next thing they do is hunt down the son of the, I think it's the DA or the prosecuting attorney. I forget which one goes first. But they start hunting these people down. So it's not even the actual DA. It's not even the actual prosecutor. They go after their sons, you know, and you get the impression that they all sort of know each other in this town. And so because they know their habits. So he goes and finds them. They, they're all wearing like um, like flower sacks, sacks over Potato their heads. Potato sacks. <laughs> I don't know. They're not that big. So I think they're flour. But okay. <laughs> they, they, they reminded me of the Unknown Comic. Do you remember oh, yeah. the Unknown Comic? Yeah, yeah that's okay, right. From the Gong Show, which was a show that we watched. It had to have been the 70s because I remember watching yeah. it on mm-hmm. TV, I think, first run. And so the Gong Show was people would come on and do acts and it could be singing or dancing or whatever. And you had like three people. Now I'm realizing this is just like all the shows that are on now, right? Like uh, American Idol oh, yeah. or The Masked Singer or whatever. So there's three people sitting there and they would, when they, when somebody was like over the act and they were like, no, no, this is no good anymore. They would, they would pick up a big uh, drumstick looking out uh, this a better word for that, but, and they would hit a gong. Okay. And that's why it was called the gong show. Right. And so they had this recurring person that would come on that was the unknown comic, and he was literally wearing like a paper bag over his head. And that is what these guys look like when they were attacking the <laughs> DA's son. That... It's just like the gong show, only they beat the shit out of you when they don't like They beat you. the shit out of this kid. We don't really know what happens to him. All we know is that later on, Cop shows up at their hangout, and he's wearing one of these flower sacks. And it's hilarious because he just, like, walks in. And we haven't been introduced to this character yet. He just, like, shows up in the doorway, and he's got he's, – he's wearing one of, the, one of the sacks because, of course, you know, they're dumb. They're just, like, high school fucking morons. 
And they just like, they beat the shit out of this kid and then run away. And one of them pulls the sack off his head and leaves it on the ground. So they pick it up. You know, the cops pick it up. All I can think of is how much that sack had a smell. When you put it on. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Take your pick. Flour, potatoes, whatever it is. And then sweaty, whatever sweat, stressed out teenage Teenage murdering boy. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) And and it's really funny because the cop's wearing this thing. And they're like, did you you get any fingerprints off of it? And he's like, no, there wasn't any on it. And I'm like, I can't. (laughs) You know? Like... Look, the kid was the kid that got beat up. You'd want to know who did it, but they're not going to like take fingerprints or nothing like that. Like it's it's just kind of wild. The boys, you know, I think they're actually in high school, so they all stick up for one another. Nobody says we were there or whatever at this point, and you know they're just going along with Chet. And then Chet wants to now go after the next person, like the next son, and ends up at finds out there's a party at this kid's house goes to the party you know well he doesn't find out he well, gets yeah, he's very told. formally invited which is weird because there's lots it of reasons weird. for him to be mad about it right so one as you said there's sort of another son yet another son of another person who potentially he holds responsible for duke's execution but also his ex-girlfriend is there so chet like every good teenage boy needs to blow off some steam and goes out to visit his hottie girlfriend who I don't know. I don't, I don't even understand what was going on with her, but it seems like she sort of clearly uh, felt like she could do better. There was a class battle well, going on. Uh, yeah, I think it's also the fact that she says, oh, my mom says I, we can't see each other anymore. And I think that's because it's, it's you know, he's the brother of, a, mm-hmm. of now an executed murderer. And so I think the mom's like, yeah, no, you don't need that mess. Totally. And, and, uh, of course, that just makes him more of a bad. I mean, with his young Scarface and his 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 devil may care attitude, I think uh, that that comes back later because, of course, she's there with the new boyfriend. Uh, I think who owns the house. I'm not really sure at that point, but there's clearly there's somebody who is a yeah. It's uh, it's his it's his it's his parents' house, right? You know, and it's big, and they're all dancing around a pool, and like he's they're clearly well off. And so, yeah, you know, the, this young woman, she had the opportunity to date someone who was from a, you know, a better respected family, right? So she took it. So that's what, that's what was going on. And so then Chet shows up at the party and. Without a tie. Yeah. Without a tie, by the way, which was, this was a formal party, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't don't know what parties you went to, the parties I went to, um, there was no. There was no, I think they were like 50s swing dancing. Yeah, they were, they were like (laughs) dancing and they were, yeah. And there was, it was like a garden party. That was the rock and roll, you know, they were, (laughs) you know, but of course they get into a fight, right? They get into a fight. The kid gets hurt. And again, we don't know what happens to this kid afterwards. And then Chet literally lights the house on fire. Well, let's be clear. The kid doesn't get hurt. He he smashes his head through a mirror, so he he really gets hurt. There is a lot of that throughout this whole film where people seem to get seriously hurt, but we never hear from them again. So well, and also not like Chet didn't really do it. Like yeah. they were like it, look, he instigated the circumstances by which the kid got hurt. But right. the kid like ran like you know like linebacker headfirst <laughs> into a mirror <laughs> in his mother's room, you yeah. know and. 
and ended up, uh, I don't know, he's, his face is all bloody and, you know, he leaves and we don't know what happens. So, but anyway. And then Chet's the pl- Chet sets the place on fire, Chet's, which, yeah, you know, as one on does, fire. as and, one does, you know. You know, I mean, I don't know. I like setting stuff on fire, so I don't, you know. Me too. Get out of here, Chet. Is that the way you talk to old friends? Why are you doing this to me? Doing what? Trying to ruin everything for me. Now, you know I wouldn't do that. You want a little drink? No, I don't want any. You know, this is a dull party. And I'm bored. And if you don't take a little drink, I might be more bored. And I might spoil something. Anyway, so at this point, I guess we're, you know, he's 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 full-blown psycho. We've achieved psychoness at this point. Moving along. <laughs> he's hanging out with his friends again. The sister's boyfriend comes along. And here's where it gets all very insular and, and, and very dramatic. The sister's boyfriend's father, okay, following along, was really like the key witness in the trial. So he was the one that said in the trial, I saw the brother, Duke, shoot this other man and kill him. So he was really important in this. Now, Chet doesn't know this until the sister's boyfriend tells him. I don't, I don't know why he picked that moment. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a good moment. And Chet loses his shit. They start fighting. You know, they're in this really small... Uh, the guy calls it a house at one point and a shack at one point. I don't know. It's, it's It looks like a cabin. Like, we would have called it a cabin, I think. And they're fighting. And the, fr- the friend Mo gets mm-hmm. stabbed by the boyfriend. Correct. Okay. Mo, like, lands on his knife. Okay. Who is a Marine, by the way. Just to be clear, because this comes up during the trial. They're like, do you expect me to believe some ex-Marine would get stabbed by some moron and die? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, he wouldn't have. But, I mean... The knife did go into, like, his abdomen. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he might have lived. But what happens? Chet literally, like, pushes the knife in him and kills him. Like, like for it's like, what is happening right now? Um, okay, so as you said, then there's a trial for that murder. And that goes on. But it's like, it, like he kills his friend. <laughs> like, it's yeah. wild. To, to frame the other kid, To frame the other kid. Yeah. 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 So that's psych. I, I, I will grant... We're now in psycho. T- up to this point, I was like, he just sounds like he's just a troubled teen. Now we were into like diabolical psycho territory. Yeah, yeah, but it really was very clumsy. It really was kind of like, are you telling me that the cops could not have figured out what happened? And wouldn't the other kid have said it was an? A- I mean, I guess he did that it was an accident, you know, and so on and so forth. And anyway, his friend ends up dead, sends him further down the spiral. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, I don't remember the boyfriend's name, but basically he wanted to marry. And it was Mickey. That Mickey. was that was yeah. Mickey wants to marry Pat, right? So that's Chet's sister. He wants to marry her, so he's trying to clear the air, and he's such a pain in the ass about it. He doesn't care if the circumstances are bad or maybe Chet's having a nervous breakdown. He has to tell him, you know, dramatically. <laughs> So Chet's already got this other situation going on and he decides to just tell him. I know, right? And he could have just like, they could have just went and got married and like left and then, I don't know, called him or something. (laughs) Like, I don't really know. But all through this, there are people that are trying to pull Chet back. 
They are listening to him. They are trying to reason with him. And I think that's part of it is that they're trying to show that he's sort of beyond reason and he's not going to listen to anybody. He's just really deep in his feelings and he does a lot of like breaking tables and breaking dishes and, you know, different different things. Like very, very dramatic, look at me, I'm acting, you know, smashing up this <laughs> plate to let you know that I'm that I'm angry and I'm upset and I'll I'll do anything, you know. But uh another thing that I wanted to bring up was this idea of of capital punishment, which is, you know, re- relevant today still. And you had the the witness who was the father of the sister's boyfriend. And, you know, he's an older man, right? He has a, a, a teenager, young adult son. And him and his son are arguing about it. And the dad's like, look, I saw what I saw, you know? And so I told them what I saw. And the son's like, well, you should have lied. Like, you straight up should have lied. And the dad's like, well, no. And he says, why should I have lied? That, like, I just, it's what happened. And the son says, okay, yeah. And someone died in that incident, but now you are responsible for another person's death. And it's it's not a huge moment. It doesn't go on for a long time. That's kind of the end of the debate. The, the father's like, you know, you don't respect me and whatever. And then it goes on from there. But it is really a very interesting moment in that they're talk they're talking about capital punishment and the idea that if you hadn't testified in that way, what would have happened? Would he have gone to jail and and not gotten out or gotten a long sentence or would he have gotten off? But he was put to death and the son clearly was not okay with the idea of that. And so it was just, I thought it was just very interesting for that time. And then to show that somebody, that a young man would be idealistic in that way and to be arguing with his own dad about capital punishment. There's definitely some meaty things in here that I, fortunately, I don't think there's the space to explore them. Some of them are rushed. Some of them are wrapped up in other topics, right? So uh, to that point, there's a little bit of like, I like this girl, you're messing things up kind of stuff going on in the background. There's certainly a class thing for sure, uh, where it's a little bit like, yeah, the the upper class juror dad can afford to do that and go back to his life. Whereas Chet and Pat are essentially in financial ruin because Duke was the primary provider. It's certainly that's implied. So it is uh, an interesting dichotomy of sort of, how the two different classes sort of deal with the consequences of this, right? Because one is certainly more impacted than the other. And that's sort of what Chet's trying to, I think, get revenge on, right? He's like, well, now one of you rich kids is going to suffer the same way my brother did. And that's what he tries to, that was part of the, I think the point of this fancy pantsy (laughs) party of (laughs) full on prom dress and suit and tie where they comment that Chet Chet didn't wear a tie to it. But uh, I do think there's a little bit of that, too, going on where they're trying to contrast the different classes and sort of how they're affected by the justice system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woo, heavy stuff. Okay, so here is the big question. Is this a horror movie or is it something else? You say, is it a horrible movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a horrible movie? Yes. Yeah, no. I, I have my doubts that this is horror. I think the circumstances are disturbing. Yeah. I think calling chet a psycho frankly i think chet's very understandable for better or worse i totally if there's any psychosis or psychopathy i mean there's a moment where chet gets told that the sister is dating a 
kid whose dad was the juror and Chet starts talking to Duke like, help me, Duke. Do you hear? He's like yelling out. Into oh, the yeah, yeah. I forgot. He's talking but, to like Duke's ghost at one yeah, point. Duke's ghost. He's literally screaming to Duke, Duke's ghost. But I mean, other than that, there's just teenage drama that I don't think is inappropriate, frankly. So, uh, no, it's not a horror uh, by a long stretch, unless you, of course, you're horrified by capital punishment, which I don't think is inappropriate, but I don't think it's a horror. Yeah, I mean, being the mother of teenagers and of uh, a teenage son, it is disturbing in that you can see how, and, and and you can also understand because we've all known people who sort of have lost their way after a tragedy, and you can see how this can can go on. And that even though people were trying to help him, it wasn't like everybody was ignoring him. It, you know, it wasn't like that at all. But, you know, some of them, they weren't, they didn't have a lot to give. Him and all of his friends were kind of destitute, seemingly. You know, they didn't have any resources available to them, you know, to be able to help Chet or, or help the sister. At one point, the sister says, you go back to school and I'll get a job. And, you know, and so it was basically like they were just trying to, you know, stay by day, just trying to try to get through their lives and, and maybe not even finishing high school, frankly. What was interesting, too, is that the women had an opportunity through the men to marry them or go away with them or date them or whatever and to sort of elevate their status a little bit. But that wasn't open to, to the men in the film. There was really nothing but getting drunk together and getting in fights there 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 wasn't anything else available for them or for them to do so it's definitely not traditional horror but i think it's more of a social commentary and when you talk about the the little moments that are in it there's a lot there but it really in the end wasn't exceptionally well crafted and it didn't really land its points i can see where they were going with it I can see what they were trying to do, but it, it just didn't really fully stick that landing. So well, and It's so interesting, right? So this is the 1960s. This is a film presumed about the 50s. This is essentially what I would call a scenario where someone is expecting police to be social workers. I mean, that was sort of what was going on here yes. was the cop ended up having to be the guy who talks down poor chet and and so there's a weird situation so this one of the reasons i this movie really just turned me off was the ending because the ending felt like somebody wrote something had a big plan and somebody else said that's not going to happen chet loses his mind he's now discovered that his sister is dating the son of the juror who was responsible for his, uh, for duke's death for his his execution he was a witness he wasn't the juror he was a witness oh he's a witness you mean. yeah and then bobby his buddy the kind of dim-witted kid that's there and sort of kept quiet finally turns coat we essentially have chet with nowhere to go and he sort of stumbles his way to i guess a power structure i'm not sure what he's doing some kind of tower and climbs his way up shouting that don't hurt me and the cop follows him out and I think at one point shoots his gun, shoots it. Now he's not shooting at him, but he shoots his gun. And it's funny if you look at the the poster for this, it's, it's that scene. It's the cop with his gun out, staring up with squinting. It's a very weird expression. <laughs> like, like I'm like, why would the actor even allow that? It was just a very odd uh, photo, and 
Anyway, you know, they're definitely in the in the movie poster trying to play up the idea of, you know, there's guns and there's a beautiful woman and then, you know, all of that. So, yeah. but really, yeah, none of that really landed. Well, landed. that's what happened. So, Chet, go, I mean, look, if somebody goes up on a tower, there's one way that's supposed to end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unless there's a plane or a giant gorilla. And frankly, the giant gorilla did the same thing. He falls off the tower. That's the, that's the, that's Chekhov's tower. If you put a tower and somebody climbs up it. I fully expected that there was going to be either some kind of altercation or something and someone's going to fall off the tower. And it ends with him being talked down. He comes down. He gives a hug to the police officer and they live heavily ever after at the end. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, presumably they go into this and, and, and I don't think that he would have been able to really lie his way out of it. I think probably what happened is that he went and confessed to everything that happened and he probably ended up in jail himself. And then... He did kill his friend. I mean, you know, we don't know if the kid would have lived or, or not. If we have no idea. But you could say that he failed to act. You know, that, that someone died by him failing to, to act. So he probably ended up in, in jail. Or maybe he even ended up being sentenced to, to death himself. Like, we just, we don't know. So there was, there was no way out for him. And then he ends up being, you know, put into the justice system as well, which is seemingly the only place that these kids had to go they they didn't seem like they were going to school or gainfully employed or that they had really anything you know much ahead of them so i don't know kind of horror in that respect r.i.p mo lieutenant chet doesn't know what he's doing anymore i know bobby bobby i want you to tell me the truth chet killed mo didn't he yes Okay, so how many knives would you give this movie? What was the body count? How scary was it? Was it gory? Or did it live up to its title? And that's where we score from one to five knives. What do you think? That's that's one wobbly knife. Okay, so for our <laughs> listeners, Mike has just made the raspberry and has given it a thumbs down a la Nero. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I look, it's it's not a horror movie. There was only one person that died on screen. There was some fights. Look, I think there was a couple of times where I was like, holy shit, like when that kid ran right into the mirror, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> it was just it was unexpected. You know, and then when Chet sets the house on fire, I think he lets he sets garbage on fire or something like that. I was a little bit like, holy shit, he's setting the house on fire. You know, so I don't know. I think I'd give it, I think I'd probably give it two knives. I think that's that's fair. The gas chamber scene actually right in the beginning is right. disturbing. I mean, for poor Duke, who you do get to see him stop in front of it and be like, oh, my God, this is it. Um, and there's like a drum or something playing in the background. So I thought that was was actually well done. But just a lot of this was just unfortunately the pacing and the and the way it was, it was sort of, there wasn't a lot of satisfaction out of it. So there wasn't a lot of ten, the tension the way we had hoped um, from, a, from a horror. And, and again, part of this is the naming and, the, and some of the other things that they were doing. I think if we came in with different expectations, frankly, if it wasn't part of sort of a collection of screams, uh, I think maybe I'd, I'd approach it differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So how many glasses of wine are we, are we going to give this? Was it fun to watch? Did we have any moments where we were laughing or um, otherwise? Like, how entertained were we by this? 
So this isn't how many glasses you need after you watched it, right? It's it's as you're watching it. <sighs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, look, I'm not going to say that this wouldn't be more enjoyable if you had a glass of wine. I, I think I was drinking a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were drinking. Mm-mm. So... <laughs> Yeah, so it's gonna get one one glass for me. Um, uh, you know, I actually would. I'll give it to you on the on the knife. I I could raise the knife, maybe to one and a half. I, I even go two. I, I I'm I'm not raising my glass. Yeah, I'm gonna give it two glasses of wine. I don't know. I didn't have a lot of expectation for it. I'm honestly wondering if it could do with a remake. You know, it's so wild to me sometimes that Hollywood is remaking movies that are you know only 10 20 30 years old and you look at something like this and obviously i don't think you could call it anatomy of a psycho because that just like doesn't make any sense at well i don't know maybe it makes a little bit of sense because you see how he comes to his life of crime and eventually you know murdering his friend but with some better writing I think that you could really make some some points with this movie and that you could really show how young men are can be at a real crossroads at at this time in their life and they need to make some choices and the choices that they make are going to be in some cases permanent ones so i don't know yeah i'll give it two glasses of wine it um it definitely had some holy shit moments and and that was kind of fun (laughs) but the movie itself it was black and white the transfer that we watched was pretty good, and I say pretty good because when you contrast it with the ones that uh, are available over streaming, it's better. Uh, so, But it's a little difficult to watch because of that because you might just not be able to see things, basically, because because of the way that it was filmed and how, how shadowy it was. And I remember asking you at certain points, I'm like, is this supposed to be night? <laughs> is this supposed to be day? <laughs> That's always wrong. Yeah. So... Overall, overall rating, how many screams? Well, I don't think it's a surprise. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not giving it very many screams. I, I think it's in the one. I, you know, I go 1.5. I think you, you made some compelling arguments around the knife, the knifing. Um, but I, I'm going to stick by my, my low levels of alcohol entertainment. So uh, one and a half. Okay. I think I'm going to give it a solid two. I could probably be persuaded to give it a two and a half. But I think it had some social messages and it had some interesting points. It had some things to say. I just think those things got a little bit lost in the overacting melodrama of it all. And honestly, if you'd added another 10, 20 minutes to it and uh, did some rewrites, I think you could. Um, I think you could make this movie into something. I think, though, that in order to make it into something really impactful... I think Chet would have to die at the end, honestly. He wouldn't just, he wouldn't, like, being arrested and going off with the with the nice fatherly figure cop, like, wouldn't do it. He, I think he'd have to fully end up dead, you know, like Bonnie and Clyde type situation. Or he faces the execution like his brother, and then you, then the cycle's really grim and depressing. Yeah, but... that's too far. That's too far. Yeah. Like, but like, so- like <laughs> something. Dramatic, dramatic death, you know, like... Maybe in his girlfriend's arms, like, you know, make it a little bit poignant. Like, I like I think that could do it. I was hoping. We didn't get that, though. No, we didn't get that. It was unfortunate. 
All right, let's talk about the character that you created to go along with Anatomy of a Psycho. What do you have for us? So this is always fun because you 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 know you there's a couple things about this. One, it's not particularly uh, fantastical, but it does and it does deal with some pretty serious issues. But of course, in fantasy, we take that and dial it up to eleven. So we're taking Psycho, and again, I I do want to state that we're saying the word Psycho and absolutely cognizant this is not particularly. That is not a word that we would normally nice use about anybody ever in the, in in any the context capacity. of. of no any kind of mental challenges we're not gonna we're not gonna use it but that in the context of the movie there it is so the character is is the leader of a gang um the the i think i call it the potato sack gang not the flower sack gang sorry but i I do call it a gang of um characters that he leads and his ability is essentially to he's really good with a knife and he actually is really good at setting things on fire so but he's very unpredictable and my favorite thing is he can actually summon uh, the ghost of his brother in the most, you know, gauche way possible. But that's OK. It's so he's a he's a sort of lower tier villain, but he's definitely somebody that um, is unpredictable, which I think makes sense. That was sort of the promise of the film. Maybe we didn't get that, but I wanted the char- the villain to be that that way. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the scenarios? What are um, some of the ways that somebody might integrate this into their Dungeons and Dragons campaign. The thing I like about the whole concept, I actually like their shack a lot. Their shack was pretty cool. I was kind of jealous. So the idea that you have sort of bandits out in the wilderness who have a home base, I think is a good point. And also, too, that they operate during the day. Um, These are not sort of night robbers, right? These are folks who uh, essentially will waylay anyone out in public because they're wearing these these, and they're also like a big mess. gang. It's like f- like right. four or five of them, right? Yes. Like they just sort of take things over. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think they, they work well as sort of a one-off encounter in the wilderness, which, you know, that's always ideal when you can get it. You can't always get that depending on the, the story. Um, obviously, the story takes place in modern times, but it could easily – because the the um, the shack seems feels almost like a place out of time and space. People come in and out of it, and nobody knows where it is exactly. Uh, I think it works well as as sort of a wilderness encounter. Mm-hmm. That sounds really good. So this is a lower to mid level, yes, character. Yeah. So and, and his gang and his gang and mm-hmm. would the gang be variable? Like how many people would be in the gang? Do you think? Uh, I think I we I literally counted. I think it was five. Um, so we basically implied that they were they were all sort of the same you can use stats for the for low level sort of combatants one of the things too i always try and do is uh we're not going to put pistols or guns in you could if you wanted to there are rules for that but we use hand crossbows so they have hand crossbows and knives and what about the the brother what about the ghost that that he can call like <laughs> he's what? just a ghost he's just a ghost. he's just a ghost but you can he can summon him he lasts for about an hour i just love the idea that he could uh, he could summon it. What's funny is one of the things he does is you roll a six-sided, and on a one, he just mutters to Duke's ghost. So he's actually c- potentially completely ineffective at some points, depending. But he can. That's one of his actions is he can summon uh, Duke's ghost, and Duke potentially helps him as a ghost, which is has its own stats. But it is, yeah, it, it, it that changes the, quite a bit because I think one of the things that's fun is you don't actually know if he is truly just suffering from psychosis or if there's actually a ghost. So the idea that both are true, like, and for all we know, one caused the other, the fact that he can see his brother's ghost sometimes, um, I certainly imply that's why the gang is so fanatical to him is because they, they've seen it. So uh, I thought that was an interesting story because, of course, players, characters may, may essentially not be sure if, if he's a psycho or not. Uh, and I think that makes it a little more interesting. 
Mm-hmm. And it sounds like this uh, this character and his gang could be dropped into like just a bunch of different scenarios, a bunch of different time periods. Like you know, your your roaming gang of hoodlums is <laughs> sort of an evergreen yeah. kind of thing that you can do. And a ghost, you know, well, ghosts aren't real, but um, <laughs> although they're they are in role playing, they are in role playing, they are in role playing. Okay, great. And what did you call this character? What was his name? Oh, Chet the Psycho, obviously. Oh, Chet the Psycho. Okay, of course. Right. And yeah, but you, it's not just Chet; it's Chet the Psycho. We're gonna commit. You know, like the like the title of the film did. Yes, Chet the Psycho. Okay, great. And where can people pull down this character so that they can bring it into their role-playing games? He will be on Patreon.com slash Talion, and uh, it's offered for free, so anybody can download him. And he'll be collected in the Gothic Villains series that we're putting together at the end of this, but uh, he's available for free on my on my Patreon. Okay, great. So I think that does it for Anatomy of... A psycho. So until next time, this has been 50 Date Night Screams. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. It's dramatic. I got kicked out. Oh, yeah. I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) 